pronounce your name correctly for me my name is paul weiner i noticed your website was paul o weiner yeah so is your name paulo no so my middle initial is o and it's owen so i was trying to get paulweiner.com and there's an illustrator who has paulweiner.com but I've never met. He seems like a like lovely dude. He actually makes interesting little like children's book illustrations. So I actually kind of like his work, but I'm also really jealous. <laughs> it's like someday I will try to buy that off of him or something. Yes, there's there's a Matt Doles. My name's Matthew Doles, and there's a Matt Doles who's a drummer in Iowa. And it took me 13 years of putting on back order that domain of mattdoles.com before he finally stopped owning it and i bought it it really does not work it's sort of like i never know really when to buy what i want to it's kind of like i feel like i needed to be like 15 years earlier and i just wasn't i mean i'm 26 years old or 27 now i just turned 27 i feel like i was like five or ten years behind on the domain buying <laughs> well, I, I teach web design, and one thing I, yeah. I tell my students day one, I say, buy your own name because, yeah. like you know, in the arts industry, especially, your name is your reputation, yeah. and so you damn well better own and uh, and it better be .dot com, yeah. like .dot net .dot biz, all that other shit. Nobody cares. No, like, I mean, no, you you buy .dot com no. always. I have like one friend who decided to go for .dot gallery and. I feel like it doesn't really make any sense, but at the same time, I also feel like the art world doesn't actually run on websites at all. So it's like, unless you're getting a link to it, like even though like the SEO is gonna be all fucked up and shit, like it's like you need that for like a real business. I feel like the art world isn't a real business. So it, the only place you're actually getting to that website is maybe through a link on like Instagram or if you're directly like sending it to someone, unfortunately, I don't really know why that is, but I have noticed that basically no one I know gets any traffic to the website or feels like that's where things are happening. Like even if it's happening online, it's artsy. You make me feel better because my yeah. numbers on my website are not very good for yeah. my matthewdoles.com. And I've always yeah. been like, why can't I get more people looking at it? Yeah. I don't know. So I think a lot of websites, you know, you get tons of articles or something written on them, or you get at least like sort of they're like journalistic or something. So there's content there that isn't just pictures. And so there's something to find. <laughs> but here it's like pictures with captions that are like built in. So there's no, there's nothing to like search. <sighs> Don't even start me on this whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Because like... <laughs> The, the search engines are getting ridiculous because yeah. the, in the in the old days, it was just like, as long as the words were in the text, in the page, yeah. something like this somewhere, anywhere, it was fine and the search engines liked it. Now you have to have like a minimum of 300 words in order to have search engines even look at you. Yeah. Now, we're visual artists. We put pictures up. We yeah. don't put words up. Like, why can't we get like a minimum of five pictures in search yeah. engines like that. Like why do, and why can't it like search the pictures? You know, I mean, 
Well, like, like, can, like, okay. you, you can put metadata in yeah, there. Yeah, you can like, like it's rough. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to name this? And then <laughs> like, Paul Weiner. And then by the time they like look at Paul Weiner, it's like, oh, you already knew. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Like, it's like abstract it's like, art. <laughs> building a, a good website with good search engine is basically as difficult as putting good hashtags on your Instagram post. Yeah. There's no real good or bad. It's just if you get lucky. <laughs> well, the other thing is, is search engines yeah. in the old days, like when I was a kid, you know, I'm 46, like really old days internet. It was the search engines loved consistency. So like yeah. it, the longer your website was the same, the higher you were on search engines. However, now it's the more frequently your website is updated and changed um, that it puts you higher on search make some updates after this uh, conversation. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, why everybody says like run a blog because yeah. basically that's new content that search engines yeah. like to be perpetually yeah, you get sort of words in there too. So it's like, they're going to, this whole thing is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a disaster because then too, I feel like in the art world, it's like shame to have a blog or it's like, if you're writing the blog, then they're like, oh, you must be an amateur or like you have like, and then they get to also read all the things that you actually think, which can be a problem because you want like the person to think you are whatever they want to think you are. And, and there's also, I don't know, there's so many weird lines built around what it means to be an artist and like how to contextualize yourself that I don't think really make any sense in a normal business world or in one that was functional and depended on work. It, or, <laughs> so I think the business of it is like largely dependent on context. And so if the context that you make is one that doesn't fit within this sort of elite microcosm, it would be a problem or at least a problem for the career, depending on what direction you're going. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, like your work is very, or, or it was, I'm not gonna say it still yeah. is uh, since I don't know what you're doing right now, but it was, and it's known for abstraction yeah. generally. Whereas like somebody who does figurative or landscapes or other sub sub subjects, those are very niche things. Whereas right. like abstraction has a very hardcore set of people who really are devoted to it and very, you know, prominent in the collecting in you know side of the industry. So certain genres of topics will either make you sort of, if it's popular in the buying market, like, cause I, I actually heard like, two years ago, somebody here in the Czech Republic was saying like, oh, figurative work is coming back in vogue. And I'm like, when was it out of vogue? Like, <laughs> like does, I mean, so like subject, just the subject matter you choose to work in can, and depending on whether you're ahead of the curve or behind the curve can make a huge difference in your career. Right. And I feel like the career at on one hand, the career sort of matters because you can make money on the career or you could like be end up in whatever collection or whatever. But on the other hand, I mean, you want to make the work that you want to make 
And if you're not making that and you're just making it for the career, the shit that you're going to make is going to be horrific. <laughs> it's going to be so bad. And oftentimes that still works. I mean, in the, in the career side. So I think of I Thomas think Kincaid. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Kincaid. Like yeah. he, he, he made a little niche for himself. He pandered to the buyers and he made a freak ton of money out of it. And like, good for him. Yeah. I don't really like his work, but good for him. Yeah, there's a whole, I mean, set of things that you can do like that. But, I mean, that really comes to the main kind of thing that happens in the art world, which is that it's a niche. I mean, it's not really connecting with 99% of people. And so if it's not, which is the real challenge of being in a gallery or even in most museums i mean you might get some sector of the population that does see museums but very very few people go to galleries and they're already kind of tuned in to what's happening all over the art world so they're kind of chasing for different contexts and signals that they know mean that an artist is going somewhere career-wise which i don't think is necessarily anything that people care about in like a normal working class like situation and that's actually what i like about instagram is there are people from all walks of life on instagram so you can kind of bypass some of this initial kind of contextualizing in a way where there are still barriers to access for sure on instagram more now than there were before but you actually can access like regular people on Instagram and send them something and show them something and build up some kind of like respect for it from people who aren't so deep into this niche world, which I think is really kind of scary for people in the art world because they wonder what's going to happen to their sort of version of history or version of how to construct history and like canonize people because I mean, if there's like a hundred thousand people out there who really care about this artist, how do you deny someone like access to that? Well, wait, <laughs> it's going to be tougher, but you do have to be a little, little bit on the other side of that because you have 30,000 followers on Instagram. Right. So like you're kind of on the side of the, how do you not exhibit somebody who has such a good following and people have oh, an no. interest in them? No, so no, like, no. I mean, it's that to your benefit. It is to my benefit. There are definitely artists who I wouldn't exhibit, and I like can understand why you wouldn't. But the the real point is just that I don't understand like literally how you cannot do that because there's so many people who see the work online. So if there's enough people that are actually literally seeing it they're not just going to like forget about the work, at least for like in a historical context. So there's like enough people out there. It's almost like reading a textbook or something. Like if you saw like you're just experiencing this person's like content enough that it's not like reading. Okay. The textbook, it's not like literally reading it, but reading like the artist's name within the textbook. You just compared Instagram to a textbook. I just right. want to make that clear. Right. Right. Okay. Well, only in terms of the way that we use it in the art world, though. So to say that Instagram is like a textbook 
is to say like an art history textbook is to say that if you were in art history 101 and you were like a first year art student and you were reading all of these things about like Jackson Pollock, you'd think, oh, Jackson Pollock is the shit. This is the guy that like I really want to see in the museum and like I really want to see all of his work. The same thing I think is happening now on Instagram is that people are seeing like these artists who like pop up on their feeds all the time. And so they'll, they have like so much access to that work and not to other work that isn't included within that cycle that whether it's a good thing or not, it's like they're seeing this enough that that's the work that they're, they're like maybe excited or interested in seeing. So, so when they see it in person, they actually already have some experience with that work before like in the same way that you would have already had an experience with like a Pollock piece or like a Twombly that you saw in a textbook, if you were still sitting on this like lower kind of like experience level where you're like 18 years old and all you've seen are the things you've seen either like in the textbook or online, I don't think there's maybe as much of a separation as you would think that people kind of have only seen these like five or six different artists. And then they're kind of like, popping back and forth between them and hoping that they see it in person. So I kind of wonder, but. Well, that's the thing. It's like, so in many ways, that, that seems a good to, thing. <laughs> I was about, that's yeah. sort of what I'm getting at. Is like, it sort of breaks all the traditional models of the arts industry, right. which is that curators, galleries, collectors, these kinds of people are the arbiters of good taste, let's right. call them. And so, they, you know, through their historical reference, you know, critics, et cetera, that they are able to place an artist into an oeuvre or a movement or a whatever. But by looking to Instagram for this, it's a bit democratizing in many yeah. ways because it's more just about the masses. But that, you know, does that actually replace that? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I do think that like it doesn't, none of us really have these answers, but I do think that there's like some level on which you can access the art world without kind of going through those traditional gatekeepers now, or at least that now there's gatekeepers who are paying attention to that more democratized force. And so they're not necessarily the larger group, I still think there's like a much more kind of elite pathway in through like a Yale kind of MFA and then kind of traveling through like the six or seven galleries that probably have like their eye on Yale, the whole, like they're ready to pick up whoever is about to graduate from like Yale painting. But on the other hand, I'm going to get in so much trouble for doing this shit. Me too. On the other hand, I do think that through Instagram, I mean, I can be some just random dude in Denver who, I mean, has a BFA and got lucky enough to be in in like 2015 when it was kind of just starting to really pop off for the art world. And, you know, like enough people see the work over time, you kind of like there's something democratizing about the fact that now someone feels the need to show the work because it's been seen by like a larger mass of people. But I don't really know how that, like, I mean, 
functions now because it's a much more complicated entry path in 2020 into Instagram than it was in 2015. I get that. Yeah, I totally understand that because there are a lot of people like YouTubers and podcasters, basically like the first generation, you know, are of course like the pre predominant people. Right. And then everybody basically now that everybody's jumped on the bandwagon, right. it's become exponentially more difficult. Right. But my concern about this democratization through via Instagram, which I'm, I'm, you know, I kind of agree with yeah. is, does it actually translate to a career for artists. Like, I mean, I've spoken to many artists and they all say that, or not all, but many of them say they don't make any money from that great following in a, in a, in a very linear sort of business like type of return right. on investment. So the amount of time and energy you put into Instagram, you don't get the sales or the whatever right. direct one-to-one -one relationship. However, like you're saying, like if somebody has a hundred thousand followers, then an institution or a gallery might give them a better look and therefore they might end up getting a gallery to represent them on the back of having so many followers. So the, there's the question of like, what sort of, what comes first chicken or the egg sort of like, does quality over well, you know, mean more than quantity or anything like this? Because I know a lot of artists that are on Instagram that they put up things about their process and they took pictures behind the scenes and all this kind of stuff. And they have hundreds of thousands of followers, but that doesn't mean that their work is good quality necessarily. Right. So where does that come into play then? Right. I think it's complicated. I mean, I don't think that Instagram is necessarily a place to see art, but on the other hand, it's the place where we are seeing art. It matters that it's, maybe not the ideal thing to kind of look on a tiny little screen and, and see what, how important this art is, which maybe has been like edited in the photo or has been taken from whatever angle or all, all of that is definitely important. But then on the other hand, it's like when you go to the gallery, you don't kind of really know why some of that work is there either. So I think it's, I think there are definite forces that are similar actually within Instagram, but exist on kind of a larger kind of population scale than they exist kind of within the niche of the art world. It's sort of like you can still have this forum that doesn't really present art in the way it maybe should be seen. And we can ask questions about like the white cube gallery space too with that. I mean, I don't know how many like normal people really want to see art in a sterile environment where you can't see anything else and, and there's like no context. And you're not actually talking about the gallery in the UK. You're talking about the theory of the white cube. Right. right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not, not white cube gallery. I whatever. They, <laughs> they seem perfectly fine, but, I've, but there's a whole uh, yeah, system there. <laughs> don't piss off white cube. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna get you on tons of trouble here. I'll just rage it's against okay. it. <laughs> oh, I have had plenty of podcasts that I yeah. should be horribly embarrassed by the things I've said, yet I still say them. So yeah, it's the only way to do it. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, okay. For you, you have thirty thousand followers currently on Instagram, which is very good as far as I'm concerned, because I can't get more than a couple thousand if I'm lucky. So. 
you know, how does it benefit you? Have you seen some sort of benefits? Like, so in other words, like when you went to approach a gallery or a gallery approach, you did, did the conversation of like, oh, I saw you on Instagram or I saw how many followers you are. Does that kind of stuff ever really come up in the business realm? Yeah, to some extent, you have to be a little careful. So because there are definitely galleries that are out there kind of just to poach artists who are getting like a lot of followers or something. Those are usually easily like identifiable though. You can kind of tell when you look at their gallery roster, there's 40 artists from like this same little scene. And they're usually the ones that are kind of still coming up, but they have really interesting work still, but you can tell that they're just kind of there to like sell whatever they think they're going to sell through Instagram, which in reality isn't like a functional sales path. I mean, I do definitely get sales through Instagram and I do think galleries find me through Instagram. I'm sure some of them are like allured by the actual literal followers and then that others are interested in the actual work. And so it's kind of like the act of like parsing that out a little bit. Like you have to get on the phone with the person and like really get to know them and kind of like before you enter the like gallery relationship or like do a group show with them and see like what it's like and what other artists are in the group show. And you can kind of get a feel for if it's going to be the same kind of like lower level, but like exploitative kind of process that you get when there's a gallery that picks up artists from like a Yale MFA where they know that there's 15 or 20 collectors who just buy whatever is coming out of the Yale MFA. And if they're like the hot person coming out of that program that year, they're going to be able to go to like our Basel. You can build a program off of that, that has a sales like component for sure. And like, maybe it's trendy for four years and they dump the artist after that and that's it or even two years or less. So, but I think that it also exists with Instagram. So you have to be a little careful. Going back, actually, let's skip back a second. Um, I forgot to neglected to ask you. Um, so, how did you get to being an artist? So, like, did you have family, like uh, schooling, good teachers? Well, like, what was the thing that led you down the path of being a, a creative person? Uh, so, I grew up in Aurora, Colorado, which is just south of Denver. There really wasn't any art out there at all at the time. Basically, it was almost bordering on rural, and now it's kind of a suburban place. But I like experienced the like the big housing boom as like a teenager, so we kind of watched tons of suburban homes come up there. But it wasn't really a place with much culture. Denver was probably the closest location where there was culture, and I definitely did come into town sometimes with my parents, and we'd like go to the Denver Art Museum, which at the time was a place mostly full of, I mean, what they were calling artifacts, which, I mean, we can like talk about whether that's like a little bit fucked up or not, but like it was mostly, they'd have like works that I've were- I've never been to the art, uh, Denver Art Museum, I don't know. Right, at the time, there wasn't really, not that I remember at least, much of a contemporary art kind of program there or even modern art program. There were probably a few works there, but largely at least what 
I saw, and this might also just be a product of like what like my parents took me to see or what I don't I don't really know, but it's definitely experienced like a mass expansion since then. So they built a new building and things that houses the contemporary art. So, but at the time it was mostly, you would see kind of like older historical artifacts from like various different cultures. And I mean, the artist's name often wasn't even mentioned and like, you wouldn't really see like what was going on with it. So I mean, you had like definitely like Native American kind of artifacts and then like you'd have like a section with like Asian like like ceramics and things, I think. So th there were like things like that and not so much um, interaction with the real art world proper. So I don't think I was conscious that even like galleries existed or anything until I was like in college, really. Yeah, I did a art program this mostly came through my like middle school so we were there and i had a teacher who was really like cool and wanted us to do some illustration and so we did some illustration and i was excited about the illustration i was like drawing these little forms and then i took some like art classes in high school and i always kind of drew and i was always mad about like other people being better at drawing than i was I mean, in elementary school, there was some kid named Tyler who was really good at making dragons. And I was like fucking pissed that this guy was really good at drawing dragons and that I wasn't as good at drawing dragons. And so anyway, it kind of like spirals through that. I wanted to get better at doing this. And then eventually you find like your, your path. But I didn't really know anything about the art world or about art or the kind of history of it until I went to college. And there I got kind of lucky to run into Kevin Larman, who was one of my professors, and Sharon Gold and Jerome Witkin, who were all kind of connected to their art, the art world in different ways. One of them was kind of like part of the like 80s East Village scene. And then another was a kind of New York local who had spent like forever in New York and had a career kind of with the minimal kind of painting scene. And then you had Jerome Wicken was a figurative painter. So that kind of is where I got introduced to where actual, like historically, like maybe meaningful art or like the scene surrounding the art world existed and stopped kind of this search to see where I really needed to fit within that. I, Cause I, before that I didn't really know anything at all about art <laughs> so i got kind of lucky to end up at that school probably because they wanted me to be like the weird person from colorado to fill the quota or whatever but is that a thing weird people from colorado yeah so i was on the oh well i mean you're talking to one but the faculty meeting so i was like the student like rep and we learned a lot of things there about how they admit students and how many problems they were having getting enough students and how they didn't have the money to do this and were in historical debt to the rest of the university. And so that was why they couldn't afford any materials. And even though we were like paying in, none of our tuition was going to us. It was going to pay the debt to the rest of the university. And so we learned a lot about the functioning of the like academia there that was actually pretty ugly. Yes, generally the arts is the most underfunded 
uh, college or department in a university by far, yeah. because the, it's the most expensive per student, you know, cause like, um, I don't know, a law student, like they don't need much. They just need some books and, and a desk. Yeah. Whereas like an art student needs resources and studio space and equipment and gallery space and all this other stuff. So yeah, they're very expensive. They're, it's an ongoing debate through many, many universities throughout the world about art schools being so expensive per, yeah. like as you break it down by like a per student price point. Totally. It's yeah. sad, but uh, yeah. 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 On the one hand, I totally agree. And then on the other hand, I'm like, oh, I met these artists there and that's the only reason I, I know what's going on. So then you live with like crushing debt for like the rest of your life. So there, you got to choose. I'm still paying my student loan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no real escape from that unless you just like somehow strike it like really really big like when we were in grad school me and a bunch of my my fellow masters people we were all sitting around and we tried to figure out what country in the world we could move to that does not have it like an extradition yeah. or anything like this yeah. or and doesn't uh take keep tabs on our social security numbers so we could basically just leave our debt in the united states and move to a foreign country that will not um allow the united states to take money from us kind of thing like yeah. we actually did a lot panama is where we came up with but oh that sounds lovely yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that was 20, 20 years ago i'm not yeah. sure if the relationship is still the same yeah. yeah yeah okay so Moving on with your career, though, you now have galleries in Germany and Australia. I'm utterly fascinated on how a young man from Aurora, Colorado, has gotten himself at the ripe young age of 27 years old, galleries in Germany and Australia. Right. So how, did, how did that happen? So it's interesting. It all definitely does filter through Instagram as someone who's living here in Denver, I mean, I'm sorry to say, but, um, <laughs> but here, so it's, it's like in 2015, I feel like there was an actual like kind of new scene kind of emerging on Instagram. And that's when you started to see galleries kind of be interested. So the gallery in Australia, TW Fine Art is really interesting. They were probably the first gallery I can think of that was actually mostly based on Instagram. And they mostly were working with artists on Instagram. I think that gallery actually opened in like 2015, maybe 2014, something like that. And and their whole roster really was artists from Instagram. At that point, I'd like now that might actually be a red flag for me with a new gallery. But I think at the time it was sort of like this gallery was really interested and they really wanted to introduce something new. And they actually were pretty successful at, at doing that. So that was actually really like, it's been great to work with them. I mean, but that was really the first time I kind of like was introduced to being represented by a gallery in, in any significant kind of way. And then so spiraling out of that, you have almost these other galleries that then see your work in that context. So there was a gallery in Brussels, which is defunct now. They only like existed for like six months, but we actually had to like save some paintings from them. Like they had like, like last year we finally got them back, 
but that gallery was around and they kind of like helped me contextualize the work. They took it to like one art fair. I had like nothing to do with how it got to the art fair or anything. I did like a group show with them and people got to see the work in the context of other artists or the context of being in that cube. And so then you can kind of, as someone who has like an Instagram presence, you can kind of filter that into Instagram. So people see that, I mean, you've been within that white cube kind of space too. So yeah, there's definitely a career to be made there by like actually just getting that one first round of like shows or even just group shows and then putting those online. And then if people like the work and you kind of end up with these other galleries that will follow the work and then, you know, it might take two or three years, but they eventually come around and, and follow you. Same thing is true with like the collectors that are on there too. I mean, it's the same, did, like did you say it might take two or three years. Cause I've been in the yeah. industry for 25 <laughs> years. Just to be I clear. mean, it might take 25 or 40, but like, <laughs> but also, yeah, like I think on Instagram it's, it happens kind of quick when it does happen on Instagram. And in some ways I've actually tried to tamp that down a little bit and make sure that it doesn't kind of spiral because so you kind of always I feel like want to be on the edge of whatever is happening, but not the person who's right in like the eye of the storm, because if you are, then you fall into that same trap that like the kids who come out of Yale and they have like a huge career for like two or three years. And then like Jerry Saltz writes some horrible thing about like zombie abstraction and your career is just fucking over for the rest of your life. Or like you get traded at like a high level on the secondary market and you're like prices can't follow that for the next 40 years. And so you're screwed. Like you never want to end up in that place. I feel like you just kind of want to be like somewhere on the edge of what's actually happening in the art world, but not so deep into it because then you get all mixed up into all kinds of crazy politics that if you can survive for like 40 years or just like kind of on the edge of it, I feel like you're in a good spot. Okay. Which actually leads to a, an interesting question that I want to ask you about, which is, do you make all of your income from being an artist or do you have yep. to have other jobs or anything like this? Uh, at this point, it's pretty much all just from painting. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. No, it's just like, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's hard at times too, though. Like, it'll be, I mean, like last year I didn't have the health insurance or like this year it's shitty health insurance, you know, like there's stuff and like, yeah, I mean, like you get lucky sometimes and you get less lucky other times. Like sometimes you have a good show and it sells and sometimes you have a bad show and it doesn't sell. So, and then you have to like pick something up or yeah, you know, I mean. Yeah, it's not a life of consistency, no matter, right. even if you have galleries representing you, and even if you do have a history of sales, there's absolutely no guarantee of continuing no. sales. Right, exactly. And I feel like it actually gets less likely over time that you can continue that. People think it might be like an upward, like kind of trend but there's no actual trend there. I mean, you kind of have to continue just like kind of hoping that people stay interested in the work and hoping that you continue to get the shows. And that's just the reality of the of the art world. 
But well, it's more it's more of a wave. I mean, it's basically yeah. like an up and down kind of a wave yeah. because like you come into fashion, you go out of fashion. You yeah. come back into fashion, you go out of fashion. And that could be because of the interest of the collectors or institutions or it be, could be because like you change your style or pick up a new topic or a new subject matter or whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. But I mean, uh, like I had a professor at grad school that used to talk about the idea that the art world is basically a wave and like you, you ride the wave, but the trick is to be able to basically pick up a new wave and, right. and, and be put you ride it again. You know, most of us of course are lucky if we can ever ride a wave in the first place. Right. But the, but if you really want to, the, the really magnificent ones can figure out a way to either adjust what they make or how they make it or the subject matter or whatever. And they can figure out a way to sort of perpetually create, continue to make these cycles that bring you back on top of the wave. Yeah. I feel like Alex Katz is like the, like master of that. You get like, he kind of has done almost what I described earlier, where it's like you follow his career slowly kind of sitting on the periphery. And now he's like, I mean, I would think of Alex Katz as like maybe one of the top like five or 10 painters in the world, but I can't like name the specific movement that Alex Katz is a part of. I mean, it's like, and I think there's like 10 or 15 you could kind of like, like sit him into, including like Abex almost at the beginning. And then like, like, I feel like it almost has those roots too. And then, but anyway, I feel like there's this whole like kind of like rigmarole you have to follow or like you can look at like, yeah, like Monet or something even. And like the way that like these people, I mean, there are people who like come back on at the end of their lives too, that it's like they suddenly have like this huge. Picasso would be a good one. Yeah. Picasso would be a good one. Yeah. He comes on late again. And he kept reinventing himself and maybe it was because he was listening to the market or maybe it was because the market was listening to him. I don't know which way it played, but so be it. Yeah. There are people who kill it at the end. Like they just (sighs) destroy it. (laughs) It's like they get, that's your second wave. (laughs) If you had a first one though, that's sort of the thing, which I mean, it goes back to your earlier thing about like just getting that first exhibition, that first gallery, like this, this is the, most difficult thing. I mean, I, even yeah. like I know you did some residency, so it's even like getting that first residency yeah. because basically everything in the art world is basically they look at your CV and see what have you done before. So like right. it's easier to get a second and a third and a fourth residency or a second, and third, fourth grant or second, third, fourth gallery if you have a first one because there's something about that acceptance that's one whatever organization gallery curator institution has acknowledged this person is worthy we will put our name to them that then allows for the next people to do it much easier and much faster totally i mean i think it's you have to kind of recognize that the art world is an elitist system that has sort of roots that you can't do things in just the way that you want them necessarily. And by say going through an art school, you're almost buying into the system. And so it's, Oh no, you're being indoctrinated. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, I'm you're, a professor in an art school. I know we yeah. are indoctrinating. Yeah, and you're you're indoctrinated, and you're kind of like agreeing that the system of like this careerist kind of system is the way that art history should function, and that your audience should be a certain kind of person. And so I think there's this system that if you want to go down the path to becoming like a successful artist who maybe sells like tons of work for, let's say your smaller works are going for like $30,000 or something. Like if you want to become that kind of artist, you have to go through that system. I think that system's a fucking nightmare, but I also think that you can kind of escape that system in some ways now by having like more of like a populist sort of appeal on like Instagram or something or on whatever kind of form you can find for it really, where you can access regular people. It's funny, almost even street art sort of manages, I'm getting a lot of trouble for mentioning street art, but street art really kind of does manage to bypass that world entirely. You know, you put the work literally on a wall outside and people read your name next to the art that they like. And so then they know your name. I think there's like a level at which you have to like still get into the street art world and shit like that. Um, and it has its own obvious like problems with gentrification that I, I mean, there's all kinds of problems within the street art world. I'm not like hailing it, but what I am saying is that there's some level on which you can like one-to-one -one connect with people in a public kind of way that doesn't really exist within the more elite sort of like white cube gallery art world because most people don't go to the gallery, but they might walk down the street where they go to the restaurant and they see your art outside the restaurant. And so there's gotta be some way I feel like ultimately, like the goal for me at least with Instagram is like having this like direct one-to-one -one connection with people on some level who aren't necessarily just the most elite kind of people who visit the gallery. And so to like find a way to kind of break out of that niche to some extent and access like actual regular people who maybe do work whatever working class job and actually like spend like five minutes online in between their break and like they're taking a look at something and they like actually turns out they like abstract painting or you know there's a different world out there for that that i think is non-existent today but that we really should be working to create Whereas on the other hand, you have this like elitist institution within the art world that is the only functional kind of career space that exists. So it's a funky line to walk if you want either <laughs> of those things. Okay, but, I, but I've got to say, okay, so you're sitting here saying like, oh, it's an elitist system and you want to connect with the average viewer and all this kind of stuff. That's really great. And I'm all for it because I, I mean, I run a podcast, so of course I'm trying to connect with the, the average person, but you generally, or more or less what you're known for is your large scale works that quite honestly are probably too big for the average house or apartment. Right. So your work in and of itself by the scale you work at 
is kind of elitist as well. I would say that there's a difference between owning work and like accessing work. So I think that when you see a painting, like, so when you're going to a gallery, you're never going to actually probably buy the painting or the museum. But if you actually have access to see the work, it's different. You actually have like some connection to it. And then on the other hand, like as an artist, you can make prints and you can make like smaller works. And while I'm like posting the big ones online, I mean, like the last show was all like really like little pieces. And sometimes you can build piece, like little pieces into like a larger like work together. Like That's kind of what I ended up doing in the last show. But there's definitely a barrier still to access to buying the work. I'm not like going to pretend that doesn't exist. But I do think that if you can make prints that like you can sell people or even like uh, every once in a while, I get like a message from someone who's like, I really love your work. I wish I could buy it. I'm like, is it really a big deal for me to send you a poster that you actually probably would like pretty much as much as you would really like the work? I can like a lot of people do own just like G clay prints and shit that if you don't like call it art, like you can just really just ship someone a G clay print. And like, what's the difference between that and opening like a poster that you bought like in the museum? Like, I don't think it really matters, but that's not something that I think you should put on your website or something. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't make it like in the shop. Like it's something you got to have people like send you a message and you have like some kind of conversation about. <laughs> like, so, so let me get this straight. So you make these large scale works, which are that the, the, we'll go with basically yeah. your idea, which is theoretically expensive because... Yeah they're well large scale yeah they are and you do have smaller inkjet prints that are available for people to purchase that you do not advertise about it's more so like if i get a message like a dm from someone who's like i love your work and they're like some dude who i'm like oh you definitely can't like afford the actual work if my cousin sent me a message and he was like, cool, you want this piece? I'm like, dude, you don't want to pay this much money. It's fine. Like I'll send you this G clay print. And it's, so it's not, it's not even like within my market. It's just kind of like sending someone a poster of the work, which I think is really all most people want. Like, I think if they like have that and it's something they can look at on the wall, they're like mostly happy because they've already only really seen it in like a digital form anyway. So they've only seen it flat. It's different with the shows in person because obviously those people who are viewing that work pretty much do have money. And like, I'm not really afraid to sell them the work at a price that they're going to buy it at. That's what that exists for. But I do think it's important to like, in the same way that you like will send something to someone or even just, let's say you're walking through the gift shop at like some like contemporary art museum or whatever. I love museum gift shops. Right. Like, and you're going to find like posters and prints and like books and shit like that. I don't think there's any real difference between like selling them like a poster or a print or shit like that individually as an artist versus like doing it in the gift shop or whatever. And that's like a way to get like, some normal dude who lives in like 
his dorm room in college to throw it up on the wall. And like, he gets to like, love the like stupid poster he's got. And you're totally misunderstanding my point on this. I'm okay. <laughs> all for the idea yeah. of making some version of a print basically for people who can't afford the, the originals yeah. yet. And see, this is my point on this is yeah. yet. Yet. I believe the the things like prints or photographs or works on paper kind of stuff are the greatest like introduction to collectors. Yeah. Like so, the, you know, because the younger people who don't have as much money to let's say afford a sculpture or a large scale painting or anything like this, or even just a reasonable sized painting for that matter, yeah. they 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 can afford works on paper to sort of start learning what they like in art, what yeah. they like. And so that when they have money later in their lives, they might start say, Oh, you know what? I always wanted the original of that print that I had years ago kind right. of thing. So, so I'm, I'm all for it. The part that I find funny is that you have these prints available and you don't tell anybody they're available. Right. You can't have a shop. Like this is this funny. is an important part. So within like the context of the art world, you cannot own like a shop on your website or something. This is like that's like the end of your career. If like someone goes to your website and they see the shop, you I mean, you can run it that way and you can have like a different kind of career that people in like the street art world do run. But if you do actually have like literally the word shop on your website, that's like the end of any person who like is actually going to have any connections within like the like larger art world. So like within that elite kind of scene, if they see that shop, it's over. Like there's no that that's an interesting point, because I've had this conversation with some galleries and other people and stuff like why is it that from your perspective and your point of view, why is it that galleries and in your hit in the what you're saying here sort of share your own websites and all this kind of stuff people don't put prices out for public knowledge mm. so like most art galleries you go to their website they will not give you the price and you actually have to actively ask them mm. and then sometimes they're really snobby and they're like well who are you before we tell you the price we want to know that you're worthy yeah. of owning this work so like, there's this whole sort of series of sort of almost barriers to entry of the ease of access of totally. buying artwork. I mean, outside of things like artsy and those kinds of places. So like, why, wh what's your perspective on like, why not to put prices out there? I would say if you're an artist, it's probably smart not to put prices out there because whether it's right or wrong, like the galleries aren't going to, like that your prices are out there because they want to like finagle them and kind of see what 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 they can sell it to who for and they might still be kind of playing around with the market to see like where your prices should start or what they should be and even more so they want to know that your work is somewhat rare and so because it's essentially a luxury goods market as much as i fucking hate that it is that's like what galleries are running so there's like they're making like basically sales to extremely wealthy people who don't see art probably the same way that you or I do. And many of them, some of them do. It's definitely true that there are people who like see it within that like more institutional context, but, or at least like historical context that's interesting. But there's a lot of people who are buying art just basically as a luxury good. 
And so I think galleries are playing around with how they actually sell the work. And if like the work seems like it's not rare and like it's available everywhere at like a relatively low, like accessible price, that's gonna basically keep them from working with you. And then for the gallery, the reason they're doing that is because they like have to create that same air of like rareness. And I think there's also a lot of finagling that goes on, say with like import export. I mean, people are like very, there's a lot of smuggling going on in the art world. You'd be surprised at like what high of a level. I mean, there are artists who are like, really, really well known who, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but like these paintings are worth like over a million dollars and they're like rolling them up and putting them like in the suitcase and you fly first class and then you get there and you don't take it through customs like kind of people. So that's the kind of thing that, that does totally exist within the art world and that you can't have like customs like looking at the price or something online. Like that's a real thing that exists. I've heard stories. Now I have no proof of this, but yep. I'm going to perpetuate a rumor. So I've heard a rumor <laughs> that, that allegedly, the, allegedly <laughs> in, in so the, one of the reasons why art Basel in Switzerland is such a popular place to buy such big ticket items is because supposedly there is a, a, law tax law that says if you buy art in switzerland and put it in storage and do not exhibit it you do not have to pay sales tax ah, that would make sense and, but so, if you if you put it in your home then you have to pay taxes on it you have to leave so, it in the storage space and flip it Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you buy it in Switzerland, keep it in storage, and then theoretically in a year, five years, turn around and resell it in Switzerland, you never right. have to pay any taxes on it. Right. And so that's really the the scary part of the art world, actually, is then like if you do exist within this elite market, like you don't want to become that much of a luxury good either. And so one thing that a lot of galleries will do is they'll like artificially limit the amount of work that's available. So they'll like make sure that they don't have like enough of a storage that they can sell 10 paintings to one person or that because then that person has control over the market. So that's also one of the reasons that they're not listing the prices too is because they don't, or like how many paintings, like they might list like four paintings on Artsy, even though they have 40, or they might list it, list like, and none of them have the price on them because they might sell it at like a different price to one person than another, or offer different discounts to people who like have worked with them over time, or all of which in some ways can be illegal, especially like in the US. I mean, like, when you look at like New York City, I think passed a law a couple of years ago where they like required people to put the price tag next to the artwork and it's still never next to the artwork. But it's almost like going to like or something where they have like all these expensive fucking couches and you never see the price. I of miss it. Yeah, well, you can just go in there and sit like oh. And anthropology. I miss those stores. Those are some yeah. marvelous stores. Yeah. Totally random. Anyways. Yeah. I have a uh, do not, I cannot legally talk about 
So you're gonna have to look, you're gonna have to edit that one out. I forgot about that. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know I can't. <laughs> I might bleep that out. Yeah. Uh, instead, leave it in and just bleep it yeah, out. Okay. Why can you not legally? Talk I have restaurant? a contract with this company that from when I was like 20 years old, I I worked with them as an artist with their program that they had me sign a contract that won't let me speak about what we did. <laughs> so, which I would say is a normal kind of practice within the corporate art world not so much within like the fine art world. I don't think most people with the within the fine art world have that level of legal actual understanding to make a contract that really would function or the kind of like lawyer backing that would you you need to have a certain level of corporation to be able to actually enforce the kind of contract that we're talking about so <laughs> okay i'm gonna wait i'm gonna try and ask you a question <laughs> about this without saying anything yeah. so you worked for a company in an artistic format right that you can't that they won't acknowledge that basically you did it whatever that artistic thing was and you can't talk about it sort of so more so <laughs> It's like at one point it was like commonly available knowledge that I would have worked with that company when I was like 20 years old on a project, <laughs> but that now there is a contract that I had signed that won't allow me to speak about what I did or what the experience was like working with them in any way. So you signed a not a non-disclosure form. Yeah. But within a larger contract that set larger parameters around commercial kinds of stuff that I probably can't talk more about. <laughs> You probably yeah. could, because I just did a Google search on it, and uh, it does actually come up as something about you having some difficulties with the <laughs> store. Oh, wow. Does it really? Uh-huh. Wait, is that true? I'm going to have to look at that. Um, yeah. Hold on. Uh, Wait, does it really? Here. Emerging artist Paul Weiner. Oh, no. This is old. just a... a um, Shows a tough subject for his recent body of work. Oh, oh no, the Aurora. Yeah, like this is it's at there. There's something you can read about it online that was approved by the company <laughs> when we had the show to do some level of press. You but did it that, at the new four story store, right? Officially called, I'm not going to say the name yeah. again. Um, 
so okay so so basically you you did some artwork that is in the store as probably i'm guessing by the description of what i'm reading (laughs) it was as decoration in the store that wasn't like for sale let's say no that was part of a damn i can't like say what it was like (laughs) like i i I, the most i tell you is you're like on the right I'm going to keep all of this in and I'm just going to bleep out yeah. the, the name of the company yeah, yeah, yeah. because this is fabulous. Go yeah. on. No, but, but basically it would suffice to say that there's like a contract that limits my discussion of something that is actually fairly benign <laughs> but, and that like is probably easily searchable on the internet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing... One thing that always comes up, and you even brought it up when you were talking about galleries yeah. as well, is like you work in reasonably large scale. So, like, what about storage of artwork? Right. Like, you know, do you have a storage unit that you like store things in, or do you? Because I, I, when I looked at your work, I thought, now that's smart because you work on it looks like sort of strips of canvas that you basically look like you can roll up easily or fold up kind of thing so they they probably pack down pretty tight even though when they're on display they're quite large yeah yeah they're easily kind of shipped and stored because you can just roll them or even fold them up some of them are like latex paint on like drop cloth and you would have to do something really nasty to like break one of those they're like really thick and the latex is not coming off like i mean you could like i usually even when i'm shipping them i'll like roll them like unstretch them and roll them and ship them on a roll but yeah for storage i mean at one point with those charcoal works that i was making i'm still making charcoal works but it's a little bit more complicated right now because i'm working from home so it's like they really get in your lungs but that's really a studio thing to do, but those works, I mean, you can all roll them up and ship them. Or if you like want to store them, yeah, you just like kind of roll them up too. They kind of can disintegrate over time if you're not careful with them. And so, or like even just smudge and do things like that. At some point, it actually becomes spraying them with art with fixative never works right. You can like, do it to an extent, and if you have the right fixative, which there are people who are listening to this podcast just to know what the right fixative is, and I'll tell. I want to know. I work with pastels. Some- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's Spectrafix, non toxic. That's the one you want. It's great. It's like a little alcohol spray. I think it's mixed with like lecithin or something. There's some kind of like binder in there. Anyway, like. Like you just spray it on the canvas and you usually do like a bunch of fucking layers until it stays forever. There's another one I found that I can't remember the name of though, that was really good for pastels and for like really, really large scale ones. I'll have to look it up. I don't, I don't know it right now, but there's, but it, uh, there's like one that basically set everything 100% perfectly. It was just extremely toxic. And so I was, that's, that's how the art world or art making is really. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Well, well, which brings up another topic that I often ask about, which is as an artist, I'm a horrible snob. Um, And of course I was brought up in photography. That's my background. So we are all about like archival everything, like using archival chemicals, archival papers, archival storage, et cetera, et cetera. 
how important is sort of the archivalness of your materials to you and your galleries and the collectors? I think it's very important and I can actually like occasionally have trouble with that. There are people who definitely do avoid the work because it's not archival or who will only buy the works that are archival. The charcoal works are a little more complicated in that way. I mean, usually say when, okay, so best way to describe this is sort of like, I'll tie this in with the residency that I did in Senegal last year. So, or I guess it wasn't really a residency. It was more of a commission, but so I did, I worked with like Kehinde Wiley sent me this like Instagram message. He was like, hi, like, I like your work. Like I'm interested in buying a piece. And he like asked me to send him like a list of work. So I did. And then he basically said like, okay, like I like this one piece. And I was like, okay, this piece is charcoal. It's going to be hard to ship. Like you have to know that if I ship you this, there's like a good chance that it'll be a different painting when it arrives. That's like kind of part of the work. And it's like, you're going to like, it changes over time. And so he actually then decided that what he would prefer was for me to actually come to like Senegal where he wanted the work to be. And so he had me come out and like stay for like, I think it was like a week or two and do like make the work there so that it was actually there. And like in the like state that it like originally would have been when you finish it. And then I sprayed it down really nicely. So hopefully it'll like stay for a good period of time that like actually how it's supposed to be. But that was sort of like the extreme level that you can go to, to do it. Then I had a show in Houston and the works really, I mean, they're archival, like in the sense that like the work is still going to be there. Like the like graphites or like the charcoal's never going to like eat through the canvas or something. It's just that like some of those works are, will maybe become more blurry or they're going to have like some kind of like spillage depends on what you've done to the work though. So before I sent them those works, I like really fixed them pretty hard and then they became this almost more flat kind of surface because I'd been using uh, charcoal that like it powdered sort of charcoal that like almost was sitting in chunks on the surface, like an inch or so out. And so, you, yeah, they, those are nasty to make. There's like these giant dust clouds and, but you have to wear a mask, but it, it was a, which now is a whole different like rigmarole to get the mask, but the, actual work it's going to be okay over time once you've reached that level where you've kind of like flattened it out and you've like sprayed it down what we did was then we framed those works and they look kind of more like set like they look like they're like one kind of piece and that makes them almost a more saleable object because they're sitting within like a frame so that was interesting to see but i mean the yeah the really like wild way that you would ideally want to do it is like you make the work on site and like they would actually hang the piece, which is a whole nightmare. And so recently I've been working with ink, which is not nearly the same kind of like problem. Okay. Wait, wait, slow down. I do not see being flown by a collector to Senegal to yeah. spend a week there to make custom work for them. I don't see that as any form of nightmare. That sounds like a dream. Oh no, that sounds it was beautiful. A magical experience. 
Well, it's the the nightmare is that you have to do that kind of stuff for someone to buy the work. Where so it's not like it's not easy to like sell because of that. The dream is the actual times when it happens, which is like much more rare where you can like I mean like end up so that was a whole I mean that was crazy. I mean the guy like basically I was communicating with his assistant Rosie who was like a lovely person and she like set me up with not she, she like reimbursed me for the flight later and they basically took me to Senegal. I have a lucky situation where one of my friends works for United. And so I have uh, basically free standby flights, most places in the US and then like some places in the world if you're willing to pay a tax. And so it like basically got me to JFK where I realized that Rosie was like a real person and that I had actually been like contacted by Gehinde Wiley. And like these people were not like someone who was just fucking with me on Instagram or something. And then I like met her and we just hopped on the airplane and ended up there. So, which that place was amazing. I've never like seen anything like the kind of like, it's basically a giant compound that Gehinde had built. And this was right before, so they opened the residency last year. And so I came, I think like a month before they opened. And we basically, I got to see kind of the behind the scenes of like them, like doing the final kind of like construction, not even really construction, but like hookups and stuff. And then, uh, I mean, it was just a beautiful place to be. That place was insane. I mean, it was right on the beach and beautiful. And what would the name of this place be? Black Rock, Senegal. So it's like basically Kehinde is running a giant like artist residency that I think every year he probably invites, I want to say it's like 10 or 12 artists. There's an application. It's actually an open application now. But I got kind of lucky because it wasn't like related to the residency. It was just like a commission kind of before it. And so that actually becomes kind of complicated like with the galleries because the galleries always want to say like, oh, he did this like reg residency and it was prestigious, but it actually wasn't the residency. It was like a commission, which at the same time is like a lovely thing because it's like, I mean, Kende owns, I think like six pieces now. So it's, yeah, it's like maybe just as good, but it's like a different thing that people, I, I'm always trying to figure out how not to like say that it was the residency because <laughs> it was like at the residency, but I wasn't. Well, that's easy. The Just residency. put put the put the name of the residency and yeah. or his name in your collections list right. instead of your residency. Right. Yeah. So I put that on. I have like a list that says like professional opportunities or something, and it has like lectures and like residencies and all that kind of jazz that doesn't really like fit. It like, and then it kind of like you can like fudge a little bit to like make it the ones that you actually want people to really see more than yeah so well that's all the cv is yeah is making things for people to see yeah I mean, that's, that's yeah. what they are okay possibly last question but uh, you mentioned before we started recording that you had listened to some of the other podcasts and you disagreed with some things that some other people said yeah what were some of the topics that you disagreed with interesting uh the the one oh god <laughs> this is gonna get us in so okay well, maybe not even so much disagree as like, I, I like her backpedaling from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, how do I not say something mean here? But I do think no, it's, it's not, no, wait, 
Okay. I'm not asking you to be mean. I'm asking yeah. you to just say like, you have a different perspective on something that somebody else brought up. Yeah. And that's sort of what the art world is all about. Right. Like everybody has their unique perspectives and their own experiences and knowledge. And so your experiences and knowledge differ from somebody else's. So what were right. some of the things that you differ in? Right. I think so. I think you had a curator from, I want to say she was in Berlin, but worked in Prague with, like Futura Gallery or something. Yep. I can't remember her Christina. name now. Yeah. Like Christina. Christina. So she was talking about Instagram, I, I think. I'm trying to remember exactly how this like conversation went now, but there was something about how like Instagram worked. I honestly can't remember the details now though. I'm like, yeah, there was something about how it like, there was something about like it, I don't even know, man. She know. talked about she talked <laughs> about how she at at a certain point was able to connect with artists and find things that she wanted, but that at a certain point, um, meeting people in real life and getting to know them as people became right. more important than just the online social media right. interactions. Right, which I do think is is true to some extent, but that there's one of the things that Instagram does is it actually facilitates those like in-person conversations. And so I feel like basically, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a story actually. It's probably more interesting. So I love stories took, like, yeah, I took a trip down in like 2016. I had a friend who we took a trip down the like East coast of the U S and like we did like a road trip where we just like met, all the people we'd like found on Instagram. So one of the people who I met through that was my buddy, Aaron Garvey, who runs a residency down in Florida. And he's a curator. He used to work with SCAD Museum in Georgia. And so he basically was just starting this residency. He had us like sleep in like Airstreams and like there was like not like really a shower like <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Now there is, there's like a beautiful like house that he has there that, that I think he's renting from someone who does some kind of real estate thing. But oh, we got a little, um, but they basically, so I met him through that and that became kind of a larger like career arc. So, I mean, he curated my show, my solo, my last solo show, and I've done like the residency that I've been back, I think two more times since. So he, he's been like a huge part of the actual, like maybe like legitimizing of the career in some way, or that only really could have happened through Instagram, but then also through taking that to becoming like public, like a, like a personal relationship. Well, no, that's exactly what she said. I mean, oh, she said, like, well, then I agree with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, she she said basically like Instagram is great to a point. Yeah. And, th and then there is a point where you basically have to get to know the people. Yeah. Like in the art world, no matter what, it's always who you know and all this kind of shit and yeah. relationships and networking, whatever word you want to put to it. Yeah. And so the, basically she said that, you know, you you Instagram is great to like find people and start relationships, yeah. but at a certain point you're going to want to get to know the people in real life and know that you work together well, that you have similar interests, whatever, like that you can actually build a relationship with. So like, yeah, no, your story actually lines up with her, not yeah. differs oh, from well, her. Never mind. <laughs> I don't you're know. There, I just, there was definitely, I've listened to like 10 of them and I'm like, I don't even remember <laughs> it's uh, which one was which anymore, but they, it's okay. Yeah. You're my 118th <laughs> guest. I'm so sure that's like, like... <laughs>
there are certain people I remember better than others at yeah. this point, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. yeah. Anything else that you differ in opinion on? Uh, nothing that I can like really, I like, it was more like I was listening and I had like minor things that I kind of remember being weird. Like, uh, there was like, there is a lot of that. I'm mean, getting a lot of trouble for this one, but like Heidi Zuckerman was on or Zucker, Zucker, yeah, Zuckerman. And she said the thing about like, I think it was the three W's with like how, uh, you like find a board member for a museum. And I can't remember what the two other ones were, but one of them was wealth. And that was the one that I think is true. Um, but there's kind of like a, yeah, I, like, I kind of wonder with people who have like a lot of experience within the art world, it's hard to get them to kind of like break their, like kind of silence or like let their guard down on a lot of things. And so like, there are questions that are important, but that they kind of have rehearsed an answer that is like very well put together not necessarily that this was just her specifically but this is something that like exists like more broadly in the art world too but that there's basically people who i mean they're trying to protect their career or their interests i totally get that i mean like you can like easily get yourself into hot water as i'm sure i have here but like i don't fucking care so it's different and so there's definitely people who are worried because they've like found a position that is significant in some way and they don't like it's not in their interest to rock the boat or to even say something that could be even mildly offensive especially if you're like say you are a museum director you know i have a friend who would give out like free advice to board members on like collecting because he was like the museum director and he like needed to take care of his donors and things. But then once you leave the museum, it's like, well, you're not beholden to give those people that advice anymore. And so it's there's this whole kind of like self-sustaining thing within the art world that people do all kinds of things when they're speaking about the art world to actually make it sound like it maybe is accessible or that like it's on like the viewer to decide that they like art or the viewer to want to visit the museum or that it wouldn't be say the museum's fault for not accessing people or that it would be like yeah, well but so if that, wait but if that were true then there would be like a little questionnaire at the the entrance of a museum saying well, whose artwork would you like to see in the museum right the, there is always a hierarchy of people curators etc cetera, etc cetera, that are the people who define what should be in the museum and therefore then that dictates anybody who comes to the museum will see the thing that that curator or the the institution has chosen and deemed as worthy of being on exhibit in their totally. institution so it's not as democratizing as, as you're making it out to be which would, right. might in and of itself be a very interesting museum to be right. a museum where literally the people who walk through the door get to choose who's on exhibition. Right. Right. Or a museum where like even there's some kind of say from the outer, like larger world that isn't so like into this, this niche kind of thing. There's this kind of like uh, assumption that people who that it's like cultured or important for people to care about art, but not necessarily as important for the museum to reach out to those people. 
generally a museum exhibition and i'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying yeah. this shit, but like generally for, from the experiences and the knowledge i've got about museums and exhibitions the oftentimes it's the big donors or the yeah. people on the board they have a collection of xyz artists cool. and so therefore they encourage the museum to have an exhibition of this artist that they have already invested in yeah. in order to increase the value of their collection exactly yeah that is definitely like totally 100% what's happening most of the time. But I do think that there's a lot of like hiding the ball on stuff like that, which almost kind of then is like pushed through art history. Like we talk about like the textbooks and like that canonization of, of artists, like what we were getting at at the beginning of the podcast. It's like, when you have a textbook that is written by someone who's influenced by the art world where they've seen like certain artists have been at this museum and that museum, maybe that artist gets canonized, but another artist who like only existed in the art world for like 10 years, but had like maybe more important work or work that will be rediscovered in like a hundred years or whatever the fuck like that isn't necessarily going to be immediately canonized. Like Jeff Koons, for instance, is going to be like immediately canonized. He's already in the art history books. And the only reason that's really happening is because he's within this kind of elite structure of the art world. And so that's what's actually interesting to me. This is what I was trying to get at when I was talking about Instagram is that it's harder to like keep people totally out now because like p there will be some people at least who kind of can break through the cracks in the system that will be known enough that they can't kind of be totally like issued out of the art world, even if they don't kind of fall into the context that art history would historically canonize. That, that gets a little bit complicated if it lasts. Well, but I, I mean, but within that, I would even say, Okay, let's say Jerry Saltz walks up to you and says, "I will deem you as part of the elite group." Yeah. You just you just say yes. Yeah. Would you say yes? Well, Jerry Saltz blocked me like three years ago, so probably no. But all right, fine. Some <laughs> some other yes. very influential. Yes. Uh, I mean, like I'm not gonna. The, the, there's a difference between I think like individual careers and the system too. So it's sort of like you have to be good with people like you have to be like nice to just individuals and exist within the world that you do actually exist within and then at the same time like we have these structures around us that i mean it doesn't do anyone any good to well it does do some people good but it doesn't do most of us any good to kind of reinforce those structures well but you see the hard part is this is like you and i are theoretically let's say not within this elitist system right. in our careers at this right. point so we sit here and we go like oh, those fucking people yeah but if any of those people came to me and said we would like you to be part of our community i would probably say yes right and so would you yeah right which i think is the like the real kicker in the art world is like if you want to have any career at all you pretty much have to like like sign that weird fucking contract with whatever company when you're 20 years old and like you've already done it once yeah. why not do it again exactly but then then there's the whole like 
you like, yeah, I just think you just got to do it at some level. It's like, you're not in control of the power structure. So like the most like you and I can really do is sit here and like actually talk about it and like have people listen to it. Maybe there's like some art student out there who's listening to it and is at least realizing that they're entering into a structure where I feel like a lot of people kind of are in art school and just assume that whichever work is the best is what's like getting attention or even within their art school that the best work is obviously the work that's getting the attention. And that's not necessarily true at all. And that then kind of going forward, even just having the knowledge that that structure exists will help you like have a better career if you do want to exist within that structure or to know that you should leave that structure. And I feel like most people don't know until they've been like even in it for like five or 10 or 20 or whatever years, like that you have no idea what's going on in the art world or like why it exists as it exists as it exists and why certain people are being canonized and why others aren't or why certain people are being bought and what the art history that you read like what perspective it's reinforcing or who's benefiting monetarily from that, that art students should probably know, but they usually don't because that's not what they're being taught in school. So they're more so being taught to actually fit in within that structure or rather not to fit in with that structure and to actually exit. Yes. And All right. Any <laughs> last things? Oh God. <laughs> There's so many things. Let's, <laughs> stay, let's stay yeah. more focused on sort of like the business, the industry. How about right. this? Any advice you would like to give some from your own experiences uh, as far as either something some people could do to become, uh, you know, call I try and I'm successful is such a difficult word, yeah. but like more professional or something along this line or some experiences you've had that that you would say like, oh God, don't do this because I fucked this up royally. I would say the thing you really don't want to do is- Sign a contract at 20 years old with the corporation. <laughs> yes, like, like that. I would say that one is a good one. The other one I would say is I would not put my work in any context where it's seen as decoration. Like if it's near a couch, you shouldn't, be involved in that and let like unless it's like near a couch like if, if you're taking a picture of your work you want the context to look like it's in a like space that would be appealing to whoever your audience is so if your audience is people who want to put the work over the couch then you should do that and you should also know that you're accepting that you won't ever be in the other space where the work won't be above a couch or, or the same thing is probably true of the white cube. Like if you take the pictures so that the work looks like it's in a white cube, it'll probably end up in a white cube. And so that context is really important, even with the space that like you're working in. So, or taking, not even working in, but taking photos that you're publicly like showing in. So even if say, if I was someone who wanted to have like a career in like the more elite kind of art world, what I would do right now is I would either have a studio or I would rent like a space once a month or something that had fluorescent lighting and like a perfect white wall and like concrete floors. And I would hang my work and I would just take 
beautiful like documentation of the work, no matter what it is in that lighting. And then I would like basically post it online without much other context. And then I think if I was someone who was interested in like what I'm interested in, which is to create something that maybe exists both in the white cube world, but more so exists kind of as something populist or something that regular people might see and be interested in that it's important that you photograph the work in a space that they're maybe familiar with. And there's a whole line to walk about how close to each one of those things you can go if you want to be involved in both. Yeah, because basically you're looking at how you would appeal to people who exist within the microcosm of the art world that's already there. And so you don't get to change the rules about whether the white cube is the white cube for the people who are already attracted to the white cube. Or you can try, but it's that's the way in. Basically, you're saying like, you know, like, you know, in relation to like public relations and marketing of your career, let's call it, yeah. that you, you create the, the life that you want the art to have. Right. You know, instead of just shooting it wherever, because that's where it is kind of thing, you, right. you actually sort of manifest it in some way. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you I spend think. like. 150 bucks after you've made all the work to like rent like a warehouse for the afternoon or something, or even like a like studio of some type. I, I don't really know, but there's some kind of shit you can find on Craigslist out there that like you can rent for like 150 bucks that has like industrial like lighting and like flooring. Totally sounds like a porn set, but oh, good yeah, idea. you could like end up anywhere on Craigslist and you will. You'd be surprised what kind of art shit happens on Craigslist though. But the, like I used to run an interview website that like I interviewed all kinds of artists and I only found the artists on Craigslist. It's called Critique Collective. I'm not sure if it's still online or not, but that's like where I met actually a fair amount of people who are still involved in the art world. And like, so they, I kind of like learned from them in a lot of ways too. Yeah, you can kind of basically build a context for yourself with like without actually owning the things that like you would need to really like on a day to day basis live in that context. You can just create like a one day of that context and bring like 30 paintings with you and shoot them and maybe have a photographer if you like have the money to do it. Otherwise, Instagram, you can really just use an iPhone, but like check out like installation shots on some like big galleries website and then go and take the same shots that they took and throw them on your website. I feel like that or on Instagram or both. And that's a context. So fabulous. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thank you. That was fun.